This week on The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, we journey further in Ruth with pious Boaz. Boaz meets Ruth. Ruth learns Boaz is a redeemer, Naomi's instructions, and Ruth's plea. Join me, Pastor Will Whedon, for The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, your daily 15-minute verse-by-verse Bible study on demand. Listen at thewordendures.org or your favorite podcast provider. Lutheran Public Radio Choir with the Epiphany Hymn, Hail to the Lord's Anointed. His reign on earth has begun. He comes to break oppression and set the captive free, to take away transgression and rule in equity. So as we look forward to Sunday morning, what does the equity of Christ look like? We know what it looks like in the world. It's been perverted, but Christ brings true equity and true justice because he takes away transgression. Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for tuning us in live on this Tuesday afternoon, the 30th of January. We're going to look forward to Sunday morning, according to the three-year lectionary, the fifth Sunday after the Epiphany. In the Gospel reading, Mark chapter 1, Jesus heals many, and he prays off by himself. Pastor Sean Denzer joins us. He's Director of Worship for the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Sean, welcome. Great to be here, Todd. We are five Sundays into the Epiphany season and still going pretty strong. What is new about the revelation of Jesus five Sundays in? In some ways, today is going to be more of the same. We're going to see him cast out another demon, forbid them from speaking, just like last week. He's going to be performing healings, which is not a surprise to us, his miracles in his early ministry. But we'll also get to see him not only doing it in a private way for Peter and Andrew's mother-in-law, but also publicly before the whole crowd, and we'll begin to see kind of the introspective nature of Jesus. I'm not big on psychologizing Jesus, although we certainly have glimpses of him as a a complete human being, from sadness at a friend's death to, I think we'll see here, his weariness of being around people constantly, but also that he directs himself to refocus by means of prayer, which is both a marvelous thing to consider that he is the Son of God praying to his Father, but also by example how we should learn from this. But Jesus is the one when he's finally caught up with by his disciples and they say, hey, everyone's looking for you. We're going to hear him say what he came to do to earth. And I think that'll be very instructive, especially as we understand throughout all of the readings today how his great power, his miracles, all of his manifestations of his divine nature are directed to something very particular that he actually loves us, that he's merciful to us. So talk about the Lord's power, his mercy, and how that power, as you just said, is put into service of sinners. 
Yeah, I'm going to introduce a proper that's not one of the ones we'll look at today. But for me, this phrase sticks in my mind. It's one we'll get to hear later in the church year. And it really does exemplify what all of the readings today are getting at. It's the colic from Trinity 10 that says, Lord, you declare your almighty power chiefly by showing mercy and pity. We're going to hear the phrase steadfast love of the Lord repeated throughout all of our propers today on this fifth Sunday after Epiphany in year B. And we're going to see that while we're going to tout the Lord, especially in our Old Testament reading, as incomparable, not only to all of the other false gods, but also to our own human power, which we sometimes think so highly of. The purpose of this is not really to point out that we're like ants underneath a giant's foot. But it is, in fact, to finally come to the point of this Lord, who is monstrously powerful and surpassing all others, actually loves his creation. He cares for us, particularly he is directing himself for the salvation of his people. And I think we see that in the way, what are the things that the Lord is willing to stop on his mission to do? As he's going to the cross, as he's preaching the gospel, he is willing to take great amounts of time to help Peter's mother-in-law get up and get back to work in her usual fashion, and able to help all of these people, blind men by the side of the road, etc., because he really is directed toward our care, not toward himself, not to sitting on the throne and kind of letting his majesty glow and subdue everyone. This is not the image of Christ that finally emerges but one who is intimately caring for his people and his creation. So his steadfast love and his mercy are going to be creating faith and hope in all those who fear him. And I think that common and well-known phrase, oh, give thanks unto the Lord, oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for his mercy, his steadfast love endures forever. That also is going to be laced as it is throughout the whole Bible through today's passages. So Paul and Jesus are also going to show us that the preaching of the word of God is essential to this and is not kind of an extra or a preliminary matter, but in fact, the power is going to serve that preaching. They both have to preach, we're going to find out today. Jesus says it, Paul says it also in our epistle for a fortuitous connection with the gospel reading. So it's that the power of God doesn't stop at sheer might. It's not a just a contest with evil as we see all these demons that are being cast out. And it's also not just, as I said, to make us feel powerless by comparison. But just as his word brings us hope, so we should see that all of his creative works in, in nature, as well as his miraculous works on display today here in the gospel, they serve the salvation that Jesus and his word are bringing to us. We begin the propers with the intro in Psalm 13. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death, lest my enemies say I prevailed over him, lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. Psalm 13 is known as being one of the darkest and maybe quintessential psalms of lament. And I don't think we really get that character in the portion that we have today, verses 3 and 5, with 6 as the antiphon. Nevertheless, we're drawn into kind of the Old Testament prayer, but now seeing it be fulfilled in these individuals as we look at the gospel. So verse 6 is our antiphon. It draws, as many of the ones last year did, 
on the song of Moses at the Red Sea. I will sing to the Lord for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and the rider he's thrown into the sea. There's the story of Exodus. Here also then the Christian, the believer, the, the one who is facing trials, is invited to have the same sort of trust and fear in the Lord's mercy in our situations as well. I think it was probably chosen also with uh, Peter's mother-in-law. We're going to be introduced to her just briefly today, and she's going to be the one who's lifted out of her illness to become an active uh, servant in the household again, as she's used to doing, and lighten my eyes lest I sleep the sleep of death uh, while she's going to be awakened from that slumber and that illness to serve again. Verse 5, then, which is the conclusion of our intro, is really a great summary for this day in the confession of Jesus. So it it has these two things in parallel. I have trusted in your steadfast love, that's his mercy, and I have rejoiced in your salvation. That's the name of Jesus, the Lord who saves us. So what do we observe in Jesus? That he is here to save us by bestowing his love on us. It's not just a power over our enemies, but it's going to be also a, a power that arises to help us. And I think as we continue throughout our epiphany theme of his word going out to the Gentiles, it's impossible for us not to see how rather than trouncing them and destroying them, as it turns out, his victory over the enemy when it comes to the Gentiles is to convert them, to bring them into his steadfast love along with Israel. What is the collect? Oh Lord, keep your family, the church, continually in the true faith, that relying on the hope of your heavenly grace, we may ever be defended by your mighty power through Jesus Christ our Lord. This collect is originally paired with the parable of the wheat and the tares deep into Epiphany. Here, though, we get something very nice. There's kind of a play on words almost because we're going to pray that the family of his church be held together in the faith. And we have kind of Peter's whole family on display, his brother, James and John, close partners. And then, of course, his mother-in-law, which I guess tells us that Peter had a wife as well. Central to this is that we would be kept in the true faith. Faith is trust in the Lord. It's uh, oriented to who he is and what he's done for us. But in particular, it's that relationship, that fiduciary relationship, where we believe his promises to be true for us, and therefore we expect good from him. And that's what we'll see over and over again, that this is a Lord that you can come to and bring your mother-in-law who needs healing. You can bring those who are in great distresses because we know his character is one of mercy and grace, of, of pity, of help to those who are in distress. Also mentions hope, which is kind of faith oriented in the future. And we'll see this also in Isaiah when we get to our Old Testament reading that faith and hope are what join us to the power and the might of this God, that they actually would act for us. They'd be directed towards our salvation. So it's a fine prayer then for us to enter into, and uh, everyone who's praying it on Sunday and throughout the week maybe should recognize that they're part of the family of the church through holy baptism, through faith in Christ. And therefore, as we see the Lord caring for his people, we are included in that as well, and our faith should be strengthened to see that. Pastor Sean Denzer is our guest, Director of Worship for the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. We are looking forward to Sunday morning, according to the three-year lectionary. We'll be in the Old Testament reading in Isaiah 40 next. Unforgiveness is a prison, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. 
The Issues Etc. Book of the Month for January will help you break out of the unforgiveness in your own life. It's titled, Unforgivable? How God's Forgiveness Transforms Our Lives. This new book is published by Concordia Publishing House. Their phone number, 1-800-325-3040. Or learn more about Unforgivable at issuesetc.org. Unforgivable, How God's Forgiveness Transforms Our Lives, The Issues Etc. Book of the Month. Here's an easy way for you to help us cast ChristNet on the internet. Subscribe, rate, and review the Issues Etc. podcast with your podcast provider. Type Issues Etc. in your podcast provider, hit the subscription button, and leave us a five-star review. This will make it easier for other podcast listeners to find Issues Etc., Help us reach more listeners in 2024. Subscribe, rate, and review Issues Etc. today. Evangelical and Catholic, you're listening to Issues Etc. Traditional liturgical worship, it's so much more than a style preference. It reflects transcendence in the divine service. The living God comes to us in real space and time through the word and sacraments. Hi, this is Pastor Nigel Brown from Hope Lutheran Church in Hampton, Virginia. If you're looking for reverent worship and serious Bible study, look us up. We're in Hampton with Bible studies in Hampton and Williamsburg. We celebrate the divine service with communion every Sunday. Check us out at hopehampton.org. Teaching your student to read should not be complicated. Memoria Press's phonics uses common sense and the classical approach with their First Start Reading program for the most effective and efficient way to teach your child how to read. If you're interested in learning more, visit them at memoriapress.com and use the coupon code LPR24 at checkout. Memoria Press, saving Western civilization one student at a time. Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. On this Tuesday, January the 30th, we are looking forward to Sunday morning, the fifth Sunday after the Epiphany, according to the three-year lectionary. Sean Denzer is our guest. Sean, uh, the Old Testament reading now is Isaiah 40, 21 through 31. Do you not know? Do you not hear? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain, who spreads them like a tent to dwell in, who brings princes to nothing, who makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. Scarcely are they planted, scarcely sown, scarcely is their stem taken root in the earth when he blows on them and they wither, and the tempest carries them off like stubble. To whom then will you compare me? that I should be like him, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these, who can bring out their host by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might. And because he is strong in power, not one is missing. What do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel? My way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. 
He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. This portion we have today is a grand sweep expressing how our God, the God of Israel, is the creator of the world. So that means necessarily that he far surpasses this creation's grandeur and majesty, his own power and might is what ought to have our attention. That means, of course, he certainly surpasses the might and the power and the fear of human beings, of men. This follows, by the way, some contrast that was earlier in chapter 40. I just want to remind us where we are. We hear this during Advent, that comfort should come to his people. And kind of in the voice of John the Baptist, what comfort could I possibly give? All flesh is as grass. We are mortal men. We die and we fade away. But the hope is at the end there in verse 8, that the word of the Lord stands and endures forever. What a comfort that the Lord is going to come with his recompense, which is our hope that he's going to actually tend his flock, protect them from the enemies, bring his gospel to be heralded as we see in the gospel reading when we get to it today. But halfway through the section, he actually starts to rebuke the nations. This is where that phrase, a drop in the bucket, actually comes into our common usage from this chapter in Isaiah, he says that the might of the nations is like a drop in the bucket compared to the Lord's power. And then he mocks the imagination of those who practice idolatry, how with wood and metal they think that they can establish a God who can't move. Well, these are the things that the Lord himself created, so why don't you put your trust in God instead? Then we arrive at today's text, which is filled with these rhetorical questions similar to what came before it, and they're meant to astound us. We're supposed to consider the answers and be amazed, kind of like Job is when the Lord asks him all of those rhetorical questions. So the Lord is looking down on the insignificance of the earth out of his great majesty, and the comparison to God is not the way we usually want to say it. It's surprising how often we dare to utter the words that God is like us, as if we were the greater thing and he the lesser to be compared to. It's certainly the opposite way. But having said all of this, speaking about the nations, by the way, in verse 27 today, he shifts this to address Israel and Jacob again. Would they dare to forget or would they accuse God of having forgotten them? Paul says that they have the oracles of God, so they should know this better than everybody. But as with us today, faith is weak. We often do not act as if we know and believe the Lord who created all things is our God and loves us and is committed to our cause. So this is a call to renew our faith, to, to be strengthened in it again, to actually be inspired so that faith and hope would grow. And when we come then to verse 29, which is the part I think we know very well, that we mount up as wings with eagles, that we renew our strength, that we can run and not be weary in the Lord. Here we finally see what I mentioned already, that the Lord's might and his majesty, all of the things that he was touting in the rest of chapter 40, are actually directed toward a purpose. 
and that's his mercy and his pity toward us, that he helps those in need, that he is kind to those who wait on him, and that those who wait on them, him are not gambling with their faith. They're not throwing, as we say it in the common parlance, a Hail Mary pass, hoping that somebody will be in the end zone to answer them. No, they're putting their trust exactly in the right person, the one who is pleased to use his power and majesty for the sake of his people. The psalm is Psalm 147. Praise the Lord, for it is good to sing praises to our God, for it is pleasant, and a song of praise is fitting. The Lord builds up Jerusalem. He gathers the outcasts of Israel. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. He determines the number of the stars. He gives to all of them their names. Great is our Lord and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. The Lord lifts up the humble. He casts the wicked to the ground. Sing to the Lord with thanksgiving. Make melody to our God on the lyre. He covers the heavens with clouds. He prepares rain for the earth. He makes grass grow on the hills. He gives to the beasts their food, to the young ravens that cry. His delight is not in the strength of the horse, nor his pleasure in the legs of a man, but the Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him, in those who hope in his steadfast love. It's a perfect comment on the Old Testament reading. It even seems to quote and paraphrase some of the Old Testament, especially that numbering of the stars. This is similar to maybe we remember more clearly that the Lord knows all of the hairs on our head. That's a very personal and intimate one that he actually cares for us directly. But that should be paired here with this numbering of the stars. As we see, the Lord not only is abundant in power with understanding beyond measure, but that he actually names us and cares for us and helps us in our infirmities with the same sort of attention that he deals with the big things like keeping the universe together or what appears to us to be the big things. And certainly it mentions the healing and the binding up similar to Isaiah and foreshadowing what we're about to hear in the gospel. This one, though, is cast much more as a song. You can hear it. Praise the Lord. Hey, it's good to sing praises to our God. And it tells us, as all good hymns and Christian songs do, why we would praise him. Why would we invite others to join us in his worship? Because of what he's done for us. Because in Christ, uh, he is a trustworthy God. He's one who loves us and cares for us. One who forgives our sins and brings us true and eternal lasting regeneration. It might be worth taking a moment, just look at 9 through 11. I got to confess to you, this is the part of the catechism I probably know the least, and that is the thanksgiving after the meal. So I, I know the, the meal prayer, Lord God, Heavenly Father, bless us in these your gifts, and the psalm passages that he gives them their meat in due season or his food in the proper time in the new translation. But I never did a good job of learning this one. So I apologize, and our listeners can work harder and learn it this week along with me. But this is a great balance to that. If he gives meat in due season to everybody, here we see that he even takes care of the animals. So how will he not take care of you, O ye of little faith? But verse 10 is quite startling, right? What He doesn't actually delight in the strength of any of these things. Let's not be confused by his mercy. He's not rewarding us for, I guess, remembering to give thanks after a meal or anything that we've done. This is what actually pleases God, what he cares most about. And we see that it's faith. Those who fear him, those who know him and worship him in the Old Testament language, and those who hope 
in his steadfast love. So his delight is in faith. From this then comes the strength that a man or any other creature might have. What we would say from faith, from the hope that we have in Christ, is what leads us to a life of love and good works toward others. But his steadfast love is at the root of it all. That's what creates and strengthens and is the object of our faith and trust. His steadfast love is here to be believed, to be treasured, and to be received. And when we are doing that, when we actually trust in him and look to him for all good, including the food that we're giving thanks for now, he is pleased with this. Faith is what pleases God. And with faith, then, even our works, despite their sins, please God. His steadfast love bestows then delight and favor on us. So that's why I think Luther put this as the closing prayer after receiving our meals each and every day. Pastor Sean Denzer is our guest. We are walking through the propers for the fifth Sunday after Epiphany. Looking forward to Sunday morning according to the three-year lectionary. The epistle in 1 Corinthians 9 is next. week on The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, we journey further in Ruth with pious Boaz. Boaz meets Ruth. Ruth learns Boaz is a redeemer, Naomi's instructions, and Ruth's plea. Join me, Pastor Will Whedon, for The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, your daily 15-minute verse-by-verse Bible study on demand. Listen at thewordendures.org or your favorite podcast provider. Luther Academy provides additional theological education for our mission partners around the world, specifically pastors who are asking for additional education but do not have the necessary resources in their own church bodies. By donating to Luther Academy today, you will be supplying food, housing, books, professors, and travel for Lutheran pastors who attend our conferences. To learn more about Luther Academy and how you can donate today, visit lutheracademy.com. LutherAcademy.com. With the oldest deaconess program of the LCMS, Concordia University Chicago has fully certified young women for the deaconess vocation for more than 40 years. I'm Deaconess Kristen Wasilak, Program Director for Deaconess Studies. Help us identify the next generation of servants to care for souls, engage our communities in mercy, and teach God's Word. Learn more about Concordia Chicago's Deaconess Program today at cuchicago.edu, cuchicago.edu. For your next family vacation, consider Our Beach House, a charming three-bedroom vacation rental on beautiful Siesta Key. Just off Sarasota, Florida, Siesta Key Beach, consistently voted America's best, is just 100 steps away. Whether you're watching the sunset over the Gulf of Mexico or frolicking in the warm surf, you and your family will fall in love with Siesta Key. Check us out at SiestaKeyRentalGenie.com or call Virginia at 941-266-1858. All theology is Christology. You're listening to Issues Etc. Thanks to the following congregations for standing with us by becoming an Issues Etc. congregational sponsor. Christ Lutheran, Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Gloria Day Lutheran, Davie, Florida. Hope Lutheran, Spokane Valley, Washington. Lutheran Church of the Cross, Rockville, Maryland. Our Redeemer Lutheran, Kingsford, Michigan. Redeemer Lutheran, Fairhope, Alabama. St. John Lutheran, Clintonville, Wisconsin. St. Paul Lutheran, Hamill, Illinois. 
Trinity Lutheran, Fredericktown, Missouri, and Zion Lutheran in Barris, Wisconsin. Find out how your confessional Lutheran church can support this worldwide outreach by including Issues Etc. in your mission or advertising budget. Just go to issuesetc.org, click Support, Donate, and print a one-page flyer. When your congregation becomes an Issues Etc. sponsor, we'll publicize your church on the podcast, at our website, and in the Issues Etc. journal. We are looking forward to Sunday morning. According to the three-year lectionary, Pastor Sean Denzer is our guest director of worship for the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. I'm Todd Wilkin. This is Issues Etc. The epistle reading for this coming Sunday, Sean, 1 Corinthians 9, beginning at verse 16. I should say we have omitted a little bit. So we skipped a section uh, at the beginning of chapter 9 on the need to support the preaching of the gospel in a very frank way that we actually would give our pastors a living. That's an important thing that we need to hear. It's part of the table of duties in the catechism. So I'd encourage everybody to read it. Maybe pastors are relieved that they don't have to preach on it because it seems like a conflict of interest to insist that those who are preaching the gospel ought to have their living by the gospel. In fact, Paul is saying here that he is going to renounce that right and that the way it ought to be for the sake of there being zero room for wiggling out of this and accusing him of fleecing them or anything. And as an apostle, I think that's why he took that great step. Nevertheless, he insists that this is a right of all ministers, and we ought to say a duty of all Christians, to support the preaching of the gospel where you are. But now we come to our section beginning at verse 16. Paul says, if I preach the gospel, that doesn't give me any ground for boasting. Necessity is laid on me. Woe to me if I don't preach the gospel. For if I do this of my own will, I have a reward. And if I don't do it of my own will, I'm still entrusted with a stewardship. What then is my reward that in my preaching, I may present the gospel free of charge so as not to make full use of my right in the gospel. For though I'm free from all, I've made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. To Jews, I become as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not myself being under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I become all things to all people, that by all means I may save some. I do it for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. Do not know that in a race all the runners compete, but only one receives the prize. So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we do it to receive an imperishable. I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body. I keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. So what Paul says here is pretty particular to apostles, we might say, but by extension, I think it also can be applied to pastors in general. And then especially this last portion, I think also can be applied to us as Christians in whatever vocation we have in certain ways, uh, particularly that we would discipline our bodies so that we don't become disqualified. That is a way to say 
being kicked out of the kingdom of God, losing this faith that Paul obviously is doing a lot of work and effort in order to bring to his people. He says that his preaching is not a matter of extra credit, but it's in fact a necessity that's laid on him. This is what we mean when we talk about an office of the holy ministry, that God calls men into an office and therefore gives them a duty, and to use Paul's word here, a stewardship, that they've been given something and they've been given the orders of what to do with it. They've been giving the gospel, this beloved content of the scriptures, and our orders are clear not to keep it for ourselves, not to throw it away or waste it, but to deliver it to others, to teach others, to impart what we have to others so that their faith may grow and they also may have this deposit richly, as for example, Timothy has from his parents and grandmother who had taught him the faith also. So we got to preach this. We've got to get this out. That can be an encouragement in times of weakness. Maybe I don't particularly feel like doing my job, but too bad. The Lord has called me into this. He doesn't need to wait for me to feel like it's right. It's always the right time for me to exercise my office and speak his word truthfully. Likewise, when things are difficult, it becomes a great encouragement to pastors that the Lord actually wants this done. Well, I'm here to be a steward, so maybe people won't receive my word, but my orders are not to wait until they want to receive it. My orders are to preach what is true and to deliver the gospel as best I can. And Paul says then that it has its own reward. If he's faithful to his task, it will have its reward. He's going to complete it, though, not as if he needs to receive these rewards right now. And I think that's helpful. Even when he speaks in the previous section about pastors having a right to be supported financially, we say that their congregation would keep them alive, or the way Paul writes it is those who preach the gospel should make their living by the gospel. It isn't as if it's a reward. It's not as if I'm going to do this thing and then people are going to, if they like it, they're going to pay for it. Or uh, if I do a great job, then they're going to reward me for it. It really is more like what he says, to have a living, that the congregation is going to keep this man alive so that he can continue to do this task that God has laid on him for the good of that congregation. He's going to do it whether he's willing or not. I suppose that also encourages the congregation to support him, whether they're always feeling willing or not either. In the middle section, which is well known just by the last little phrase, right? I become all things to all people that by any means I can save some, right? The ends justify the means is how I think often this is presented to us. In its context, one, we see Paul as being pretty rhetorical in saying he's become all things to all people. He makes these bold statements like, I'm becoming lawless for the lawless people. But then he says in parentheses, well, not that I'm actually free from the law. I'm obviously under the law of Christ. I'm obviously not being a lawless person as most of Galatians and also Romans are dedicated to. He's not compromised in the least on his message and its truth. Nor has he dispensed with all the demands on his hearers. If we read the rest of 1 Corinthians, we see Paul, he has a lot of expectations for the Corinthians, things that need to change, attitudes that need to be adopted, works that need to be done, and repentance that needs to be borne out. Nevertheless, Paul has, has devoted himself to showing kindness and to be in every way possible approachable to them. The focus is not on him giving up and pandering to whatever other people want. 
but the focus is on the fact that he is willing to sacrifice and be disciplined for the sake of preaching the gospel and bringing its salvation to others. And that is the task of a, of a preacher, including the apostles. At last, then we come to the one we know, the race, right? We love it when we get a sports metaphor in the Bible, and we do have that here. It's definitely the endurance running. This is the marathon in mind, maybe. And his focus is on how that could be a useful demonstration to what our work, either as a Christian in our vocation or as an apostle or a preacher of God's gospel, ought to be, that there's discipline, that there's self-control. But there's a huge and important thing to see is that not only is that similar to runners, it's also very different from runners. He says, look at all this stuff they do in order to be dedicated to their task, focused, willing to bear some pain and sacrifice for the sake of the goal. And what are they getting out of it? The little Stephanos, right? The little wreath, as you often see, made out of flowers that'll be dead and wilted by tomorrow. We are laboring, whether that's in the gospel as a preacher or whether that's a Christian continuing in the faith, we're laboring for something that doesn't perish, for something that is eternal, for something that makes this crown and this race metaphor actually sound pretty silly when you think about it. It's of endless importance. And that's the task, not only of preachers who are delivering that saving gospel, but also of all Christians, that they would continue and run their course with joy all the way to the end, that he who began this good work in us, this is the comfort that enables us to continue, has promised he will bring it to completion in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Pastor Sean Denzer is our guest as we look forward to Sunday morning according to the three-year lectionary. I'm Todd Wilkin. You're connected to issues, etc. Forgiveness does not excuse sin. Forgiveness takes sin away. This can only be done in the name of Jesus Christ When you proclaim forgiveness, you do so in the name of Jesus Christ. Paul says, There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Specifically, identifying the sin you're forgiving and intentionally forgive in the name of Jesus Christ. That's from the Issues Etc. Book of the Month for January, Unforgivable, How God's Forgiveness Transforms Our Lives. You'll find it at our website, issuesetc.org, or call Concordia Publishing House and ask for Unforgivable. 1-800-325-3040, 1-800-325-3040, when we come back, we will look at the gradual and the verse for the fifth Sunday after the Epiphany. If you appreciate Issues Etc., our 24-7 music and talk stations, and our daily verse-by-verse Bible study, The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, please include a bequest in your will or trust for these worldwide media resources. A bequest allows you to receive an estate tax charitable deduction and reduces the tax burden on your family. Ensure your children, grandchildren, and great-grandchildren the opportunity to listen by including a bequest in your will or trust for Issues Etc., Lutheran Public Radio, and the word of the Lord endures forever.
Hello, this is Roy Askins with The Lutheran Witness. You've heard me talk about all the great content we publish in the print magazine of The Lutheran Witness, but I wanted to share with you that we have even more online. Visit our website, witness.lcms.org, where you'll hear even more content on worship this month in particular from Cantor Phil Magnus. We also have a series on literature right now going on and a series on church art with much more planned in the future. You can get all that for free on witness.lcms.org. The Lutheran Witness, helping you interpret the world from a Lutheran perspective. Prayer, Meditation, The Assaults of Satan, You're Listening to Issues Etc. This is Pastor Matthew Harrison, President of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. The LCMS operates the second largest parochial school system in the United States. What can you expect from a Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod school? There's one race, the human race. And Jesus died for the sins of every man, woman, and child from every land and every nation. Life begins at conception. All life is precious from womb to tomb. And every student, parent, and teacher is created in the very image of God. There's right and wrong, and we know which is which from the Ten Commandments. There are only two sexes, male and female, he created them. Marriage is the lifelong union of one man and one woman. There's such a thing as objective, absolute truth, and it's found in the person and work of Jesus Christ and His Word. To find a Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod school near you, visit lcms.org slash schools. Do you long for a church where the gospel of the sinner's free justification is front and center, and yet where a robust sacramental life is confessed and lived? Do you long for a church that rejoices in the sacred scriptures as the sole basis for the church's teaching and proclamation, yet values and listens to the witness of the ancient fathers and councils? Welcome to the Lutheran Church. We are what you've been looking for. Find a Christ-centered, cross-focused church near you on the Find the Church page at issuesetc.org. Listen to the best of the church's music for the Epiphany season at lutheranpublicradio.org. Sacred music for the Epiphany season, 24-7. lutheranpublicradio.org. Issues, etc. Pastor Sean Denzer, Director of Worship for the Lutheran Church of Missouri Synod, is our guest. We are looking forward to Sunday morning according to the three-year lectionary. Sean, what are the gradual and verse for this coming Sunday? Praise the Lord, all nations, extol him, all peoples, for great is his steadfast love toward us, and his faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Boy, that's really on display today, that his faithfulness is the reason to praise him. And maybe this last phrase as well, ascribe to the Lord the glory, do his name, bring an offering and come into his courts. Well, what is the glory? It's not only the majesty of his creation that he's better than us, if you want to put it that way, but particularly that he is a Lord who loves us, that his steadfast love is shown to us and it endures forever. And it's not just for the people of Israel, but for us, for all Gentiles as well. Which brings us then to the verse, kind of the last verse of our gospel we're about to hear, brought out that Jesus is going through Galilee, preaching in their synagogues, and casting out demons. 
that does seem like a kind of strange alleluia verse, but this actually is kind of bearing out what we've heard in our intro, what we've heard in the calls of the Psalms, that we are to praise him because of his steadfast love being shown. So here it is. We say, alleluia, that means praise the Lord. And look at what the Lord is doing. He's going through Galilee. He's preaching in the synagogues. He's casting out demons. In a sense, we're brought into the same praise that we see in the people of God that we heard about last week, for example, praising him for his works in the first century as he was here on earth performing his ministry. We also know that then his word is going to be what we want to put our attention to as we hear the gospel reading now. That gospel reading is Mark chapter 1, 29 through 39. Immediately, Jesus left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up. And the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That evening at sundown they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons, and the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons, and he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. And rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. They found him and said to him, Everyone's looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go on to the next towns, that I may preach there also. For this is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. Well, we're right where we left off from last week, and some of it's continuing, especially in the casting out of demons. We go from the synagogue, that's the scene for last week, into Simon and Andrew's house, brothers, James and John, their co-workers, and we find his mother-in-law is sick with a fever. Strength and healing is restored. The ground has been laid for this already in our Old Testament reading. We should expect this of our Lord. That's why this is an epiphany of the very same God that Isaiah was preaching, now come in the flesh to help. It's beautiful to see how she responds. I suppose that's what mothers-in-law are always interested in doing is serving people, probably making food and insisting that everybody have a couple of extra helpings. But this is also instructive as our basic understanding of how good works fit into the whole scheme of life and salvation as a Christian. And that is that faith and the Lord's mercy is what inspires and leads us to respond in service and in love toward our neighbor. For this reason, Simon's mother-in-law is a great example to all of us. Now, that's a private healing, right? That's in a house. Uh, It's really kind of with the inner circle but it doesn't stop there. Everyone else keeps coming. They bring to him the people who are sick and oppressed by demons. I wonder if they is actually Simon and Andrew, James and John, but we see that the whole city gathers around and you you imagine them crowding around the door. Jesus' ministry is public. And, And we use the same phrase and intention when we talk about the public ministry of the church as well. Not everything, for example, that your pastor does is visible on Sunday morning during this divine service. Uh, Many of the sermons he gives are individual. They're spoken at a bedside. They're directly to somebody that he's visiting. They're to somebody new that has never heard the gospel that he meets in the road during the week. 
All of it, though, is considered a public ministry. It's all out in the open. It's all part of this necessity that Paul talks about, where the necessity is laid woe on us if we're not preaching the gospel. It's always a public act of the church. So here they are. They bring all these sick and uh, possessed people, and the Lord is helping them. Again, the Lord doesn't let the demons speak. He wants to receive the praise, as our psalms have said, from the nations, from the people of Galilee, Jews and Gentiles alike. And it seems he is tired. He rises up in the morning and goes off on his own in a desolate place, and he prays. What does that mean for Jesus to pray to his Father? It means, as we hear elsewhere, that he is wrestling with his task, that he knows he's not here to perform tricks for his own purposes, but he's here to manifest in his person, not only that he is God, but that he comes in the name of the Father to accomplish all of the healing and saving tasks that the Old Testament have proclaimed about the Messiah. What does it mean to us? I think that it gives us a good example that we also ought to make prayer an important part of our life, that we ought to not pursue faith, difficulty, suffering, or even good works and love without coming to the Lord, thanking him for what he has given us, trusting in him. As we said earlier, right, the fear of the Lord, he gives his blessing and his steadfast love to those who fear him, to those who hope in his steadfast love. Prayer is the expression and the exercise of such faith. Okay, so he's found out there. And everybody comes to him and says, hey, they're looking for you. We got to get back. Why are you off by yourself? It's interesting. He doesn't say, you're right. I need a break. I'll go back. He actually says, no, I'm not coming back. We're going to move on to the next town. And why? Is it just that Jesus wants to reach more people? Is it kind of maybe that simple version of what Paul says that by any means necessary, I'm just going to get as many as I possibly can, spread the mayonnaise thin on the, on the bun? No, it's much more similar to the way it is in the garden at the end of John's gospel where Mary Magdalene comes and clings to him or would hold on to him. And Jesus says, do not touch me now. I have not ascended to your father and my father. The Lord has not just come to a small isolated group of people. He hasn't just come to Simon and his family and friends. He hasn't even just come to this town, but he is here for the whole world. He is here to be believed on by the whole world and therefore he's going to continue. But he also tells us here what his whole purpose is, and and maybe there's a little bit of a tempering to the miracles. We know that later in the Gospels, he escapes the people after his miracles of feeding, because they understand it simply as an earthly feeding, that he's going to be a king who will give them what they want. And he escapes that pressure or that way of being received because he wants to be received by faith and trust as the Lord. So here then he says, it's not just about healing and casting out demons and fixing local problems, but actually is for preaching the gospel. I've come here that I may preach. That's the whole reason I've come out into the open. It's the whole reason I've begun a ministry. It's the whole reason I came to earth is to preach, to give the very words of life that well up to eternal life. I think here's why the beginning of Isaiah 40 should still be in view, even if we didn't hear it, that the word stands and the word endures forever, and that we should rejoice to hear the herald of good news on the hills of Zion. This is Jesus who has come. 
that he is here to preach. That's why the demons are being cast out. That's why sin and sickness are fleeing away, is because the Lord's word has come. What would you say of the hymn, Hail to the Lord's Anointed? Well, this hymn is a Moravian hymn. It's based on Psalm 72. That might be difficult to hear, except you'll recognize it in verse 4 when it talks about the kings fall down, golden incense, the nations. This is almost a direct quote out of that psalm. Obviously, it's a foretelling of the epiphany scene with the Magi as well. Uh, If we had some of the missing stanzas that have been omitted, they're very particular. They talk about Ethiopia. They talk about Arabia and these very peculiar peoples. And then the whole hymn takes on a missionary characteristic, as Psalm 72 does, reaching out to the Gentiles, perfect for epiphany. But what I particularly love about this hymn is not only does it extol who Christ is, he's the son of David, he's come to set the captives free, this is beautiful, and he's here for all these people looking out to the missionaries. It's this last stanza, which Sounds, frankly, like what we've heard already. He's victorious over his foes. He's the most powerful. From age to age, he's even more glorious. Time and places can never remove his covenants. Everybody's going to know this guy's name. And what is his name is kind of the last phrase of the psalm. Well, here's his name. His name is love. So the mighty God, we want to know who this is. We want to know who the powerful Lord who created the world is, the one who could even cast out demons and heal all of our troubles, the one who would be worthy of our faith, worthy of our prayers. And he announces just what we began, that he declares his almighty power chiefly in showing mercy and pity. And in this way, all of this that we're hearing, and I think that is safe to say of Mark's gospel in general, all of this really is driving and leading up to the death of Jesus, where he pours out his blood, where he offers himself as an atoning sacrifice for the sins of the world to show his mercy toward sinners, to show his mercy toward the whole world. How would you summarize the message of this coming Sunday, the fifth Sunday after the Epiphany? As we consider the Lord's beginning of his ministry, we see largely that it has to do with preaching, that it has to do with miracles, and that he is not afraid to be in places where you might not expect the Lord to be. It's not all about Jerusalem, but it's also a foreshadowing of his ministry to the Gentiles. In our celebration of this season of Epiphany, we rejoice that his word has enlightened us as Gentiles and that his love extends to all. As we see the manifestations of God come in the flesh, come to be the world's Lord, we are astounded to find that he comes humble, that he comes to show mercy, that his power is put to such a purpose that he would be the redeemer of sinners and of the whole world. In this way, it flows perfectly into our season of Lent that is fast approaching, which ends in Holy Week and the greatest week of of our Christian church's focus, where he sheds his own blood and gives his life as the atoning and ransoming sacrifice for the sins of the world and rises to bring healing that won't just last for a time, as he's giving here in Galilee, but healing that will last forever. In fact, that his words that he preaches well up to eternal life forever. Pastor Sean Denzer is Director of Worship for the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Sean, thank you. You're welcome. 
Wednesday on Issues Etc., we'll discuss Christianity in a Negative Culture with Aaron Wren, and we'll have Dr. Stephen Parks respond to Catholic Answers Series, Six Early Church Controversies Protestants Can't Answer. Well, I think that colic says it all, doesn't it? That his power is chiefly shown in showing mercy. That is what Jesus is all about. He uses all the power and all the authority that he has been given by the Father to show mercy. I'm Todd Wilkin. I'll talk with you tomorrow. Thanks for listening to Issues Etc. Listen weekday afternoons to Pastor Todd Wilkin and guests on Issues Etc. Issues Etc. is a listener-supported program. Your financial support is vital for the continuation and expansion of this worldwide outreach. Our mailing address, Issues Etc., P.O. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. You can also donate at our website, issuesetc.org. Issues Etc. is a production of LPR, Lutheran Public Radio. I am beautiful because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I am accepted because I'm a part of his family through Jesus' shed blood. Unity Lutheran School in East St. Louis, Illinois, shines the light of Christ in one of the most impoverished cities in America. Learn how to support their mission work at unityesl.org. Unityesl.org. Today, with the help of the Holy Spirit, Do you want a church with a rockin' band and a sermon series to help you live a better life? It's not here. Bethany Evangelical Lutheran Church in Fairview Heights offers authentic, historic Christianity to a world awash in fads and entertainment, and offers forgiveness of sins to people overwhelmed with guilt and shame. Join us Sundays at 9.30 on Old Collinsville Road in Fairview Heights, Illinois, to receive the life-giving gifts of God with us. Find out more online at BethanyLCMS.org.